Life is full of knots, isn't it? Yes. Got a bunch of uh, kids in my house, and they're toddlers, and um, as they do, they need help tying their shoes. That's fine. That's kind of a regular occurrence of all kids. That's why we've got invented, invented Velcro. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the other day, my, my um, middle son came home from school, and a well-meaning teacher had put like a quintuple knot in his right sneaker. He couldn't get it on, couldn't go to school until I somehow figured out how to untangle the mess of a knot in a little kid's. Never would I have thought I lost my mind over so small a thing. Life's full of knots. I've got a daughter who's learning how to put her hair up in a ponytail. And um, I am, I'm that dad who when mom's out of town, I'm like, figure it out, girl. I don't, can't help you. And uh, so she's learning how to like take care of her, herself. And the, the last year in the summer, I remember one particular day, she um, put her hair up in a ponytail and then brought it to mom and mom made it look even cuter. And it was so cute that she just stayed in her hair for a week. <laughs> in the summertime when we're swimming and getting sweaty and all those things. And finally one day she said, dad, I took out my ponytail, but my, my, something's wrong with my hair. And I'm sitting there looking at this tangled spaghetti of a knot in my daughter's hair way up here. And my daughter, sensing that something was wrong in the force, said, you know what, Dad, I'll go to Mom. <laughs> and Mom patiently kind of like worked it over and got one thing out and got another thing out and was able to like do this gymnastics with it until all of a sudden Mom, after much patience and endurance and skill, realized that this thing wasn't coming out except for with some scissors. And so there we were, cutting out a knot. Um, knots are not just for toddlers. Knots are a part of life. We, we, all, we all have knots. They're, they're, it's something that kind of happens to us as we continually get older. Life gets us in knots. Sometimes these are knots that like, we've made for ourselves and Sometimes these are knots that were just handed to us by situations in life or circumstances or, gosh, by our, our parents gave us a knot. And we tried in our adulthood to untangle it, but we, we found out that these knots just kind of followed us through and we can't really get, get rid of it. We all have knots. There are worries. There are anxieties. Um, there, there are relational dysfunctions. They're the things that trip us up in our thinking patterns. There are knots. The challenge with our knots in life is that, unlike this, you can't really see the knots that you have, which makes them really difficult to do anything with. We um, sometimes imagine that, like, we don't even have the knot because we can't see it. So if we can't see it, we can't talk about it, we can't talk about it, we can't do anything with it. We must just imagine and go on with life and pretend it's not even there. Sometimes, though, um, we find out that we've got a knot and all we can think about is the knot. Have you been there? Do you know what I'm talking about? Today we're going to be starting a brand new series here at Heartland that I'm really grateful for. I think it's a really important series for us as a church to talk about together, as a, as a church for us to continue a conversation that's already been in progress together here at Heartland. It's a series that we're calling... Mindful. Mindful. It's an important series 
on a relevant topic in our society today, mental health. Now, I don't know if you're like me, you were raised in a church that never ever talked about things like this, of, of how you think and how you talk and how you process. Um, maybe you even wonder, is this even a topic for church? And I hope that at the end of this series that we go through over the next couple of weeks, this conversation that we have together, you'll, you'll kind of understand the heart that God has for your whole life. The heart that God has for all of his people to be healthy in their lives. Our hope for us as a church, for you as a follower of Jesus, or even for you as someone who's just exploring Jesus and wondering what possible benefits he has for your life. My hope, our hope as a, as a church is that is that together we might become mindful of the ways in which our lives are tied up in knots. How becoming mindful, we might foster mercy and compassion. We might actually realize the church is a place of safety for the pursuit of wholeness and healing and the heart of God. Um, let me just start out by saying this is a series that I feel a little bit out of my depths on. Um, because I've got a degree in theology, not philosophy or psychology or counseling. Which is why I was so glad when I approached Tom Bronner on our pastoral team and who heads up our care division and said, Tom, I really feel compelled that we as a church need to have an important conversation about our mental health as a society and what we as a church are doing about it. That Tom instantly said, Dan, that's incredible. And I, this was a thing for me. He goes, I think you're the perfect person to lead the charge. And I said, but Tom, you don't really understand because, like, I'm Norwegian. <laughs> Which means, you know that movie Frozen? Conceal, don't feel is the Jacobson motto on our crest. <laughs> I love that when I brought this topic to our team, our entire group of teaching team, our communicators all said, yes, let's do that. And so we as a, as a staff realize this is a tall order for us to talk about from a stage, which is why, which is why over the next five weeks, you're not just going to hear from pastors. Over the next five weeks, you're going to hear from fellow Heartlanders who sit in the seats among you. You're going to hear from med uh, mental health professionals, from educators, from people who are practicing and counseling, from people who counsel here at Heartland as well. We believe so clearly that God has something for us in the way that we think that we're willing to go to such great lengths for us to have a conversation about this topic so that we can see the church in all of its beauty. I hope that by the end of the series, you know what I mean when I say that Heartland is a mindful church. The subject of mental health has been one that's just been uh, becoming a little bit higher in your algorithm on your news feeds. It's, it's one that's become a little more frequent in our society. It's one that's taken up a little bit more noise in the past couple of years, and, and for good reason. I mean, um, can anybody take a guess at what might have wrecked our mental health in the past 25 months? Right, right. It's the elephant in the room. It's the thing that we've all endured. Whether, whether you went through that feeling angry or hopeless or scared or confused or nervous, we all went through a moment of, trauma together. The statistics about mental health in our society are fascinating to me. Every year, one of the things that I as a pastor do is I um, wait for the annual report from Google. Now, I do more than just Google things, but uh, I, I, I'm very keyed into one particular report from Google 
It's their year in search report. For 2021, they take all of the searches that have been accumulated over Google and they try and find trends in society. And as a pastor, I'm really interested in what's happening in the world. And here's, here's the, the, the Google uh, report for how people search the terms mental health. And what I want you to know is that it was one of the highest ranking searches in the past uh, 12 months. But this is the really interesting thing. The first most searched place in America where the terms mental health were searched were Minnesota. That makes sense. They'd never see the sun. <laughs> Number two, I don't know if you can see this, is Kansas. Now, I told that to somebody and they're like, oh yeah, Wichita. I said. But actually, if you dive into that number, you're going to find Johnson County is one of the more interested, uh, active searchers of the term mental health. This is something that we've been thinking about. It's been on our mind. We've realized that our minds are in knots. But our minds have been in knots far beyond anything called 2020 or 2021. Statistics on mental health have been um, becoming dire for the past decade, really. Uh, statistics, I, I'll just tell you this, from um, over the course of the pandemic, mental health um, concerns rose from being something that maybe one out of every 10 adult Americans would experience in the course of a year to being something that four out of every 10 adults reported experiencing in the course of a year. Which means in a church like ours, there's at any given moment 400 people who are wrestling with some form of a mental health problem. Young adults, we expect it to be a little better. Young adults ages 18 to 24 had higher rates of anxiety, depression, and substance abuse than any other age demographic by a factor of two. Maybe it's better with teenagers, but it's not. Suicide is still the number two leading cause of death amongst teenagers to 34-year-olds. Today, our middle school and high school students have some bright spots. When I was uh, growing up in, in middle school and in high school, the educators around me said, the best thing we can do for your society is to get you to stop drinking, stop smoking, and stop having sex. That was like the pinnacle of the 1990s. And today, our teenagers show increased, or I, that's the wrong word, show incredible decrease in all three of those activities. Today's teenagers are far less likely to use alcohol or cigarettes or have uh, premarital sex. And yet, today's teenagers have the highest rates of anxiety depression, and self-harm. Our minds are in knots. Our minds <laughs> are full. This is a new topic for our world, but this is not a new topic for Heartland Church. You see, for the better part of a decade now, our church has been a place where we've carved out space in our staff, in our budget, in our team to care for people. For 
years now, we've hosted an AA group here to help support those who are recovering from alcohol addiction, or we, we've hosted grief share and divorce recovery for those who are walking through hard parts of life. We have, for the past better part of a decade now, had a partnership with Friends University, who uh, has been an incredible partner with us to help us take steps in towards uh, counseling services for Johnson County. And together as a church, last year, we've offered 1,500 hours of free counseling to people right here in our community. Isn't that incredible? 1,500 hours of free counseling. This is a topic that our church has been long aware of and long engaged in even though it's a new topic for us as a society. And the reason that we've been engaged in this topic for so long is because this is not a new topic for God. God cares deeply about the minds of his people. God cares deeply about each one of our thought processes and our thinking patterns and the ways that we process life. In fact, Jesus seemed to care deeply about what we today call mental health. And so just as an introduction, the rest of the time here today, I just want to give an introduction to the rest of what you're going to hear over the next couple of weeks of three reasons of why Jesus cares about your mental health. Three, three reasons of why Jesus cares about your mind and maybe three reasons why we should as well. Everybody in on this? Everybody a little uncomfortable by this? Yeah, that's a safe space. You can, you can say that. Here's the first reason. Um, Jesus cares about our mental health because Jesus cares about all of the all that we are. Uh, Here's what I mean. Jesus cares about all people, but but maybe more specifically, there's a moment in Jesus' life where he's asked by a young lawyer, which of God's commandments was the greatest? Maybe you remember this if you grew up in church, and this is Jesus' answer. Of all the laws of God that are the most important laws, these are the ones that Jesus singles out. He says, love the Lord your God with all, everybody say all, your heart, and with all, your soul, and with all, your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Jesus went along to say the second is like it, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. I I find it just be fascinating that when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment that endures today as we love God or how we relate to God. He quotes one of the ancient mantras of Israel. It was called the Shema. It was essentially Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. And Jesus rips from the old pages, the, exact, the Old Testament, the exact wording of what Israel would have said. That, that Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. For Jesus to go back into the annals of history and to bring forward into his day this one statement, it tells us that he must really think that this is central to the healthiest and most flourishing productive life. All of our hearts, all of our souls, we kind of expect that. But all of our minds, it's interesting. So how I dream, that's my heart, how I discern and decide, that's my soul, and what and how I think, they're all bound together in my view of God and my view of me. I don't know if you caught that. That that to love the Lord your God, it, it requires you to have all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. So Jesus cares about who we are and how we are by how we love God. 
In one sense, Jesus is reintroducing or reinforcing this idea that we will never fully love God unless we are mindful of who we are. Theologians for centuries have been saying this exact statement. However, I just said it. They've said their own form of that. That you'll never truly love God until you actually understand who you are. Theologians call that the existential situation. I'm not going to weigh us all down because this is my theological nerdery coming out. But uh, let me just take you back to the, to the fourth century. There's a guy named um, Augustine. He, he said it this way. Augustine said, uh, the sum total of, of humanity, he said, our heart is restless until it rests in God. This is in the fourth century. He said, our hearts, so let me put it in our language, we're knotted up until we find the God who can unknot us up. Fast forward to the 11th century, a guy named Anselm. Uh, he said, for I do not seek to understand in order that I may believe, but I believe in order that I may understand. We summarize this in church world by saying that all of our faith is seeking understanding. That for us to truly love God and know God, it means that we must seek to know who we are. There's another guy um, a couple centuries later named John Calvin. He wrote a lot of things, but one of the things that he said is this. He says, man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face, and this is interesting, and then descends. For, for Calvin, he, he, he understood that I don't know who I am unless I first look at God and then realize that I'm lower than him. Uh, in the 20, 20th century, C.S. Lewis wrote it this way, kind of in the reverse form. He said, in God, you come up against something which is in every respect immensely superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, superior, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. So it's only when we are mindful of ourselves that we can even claim to know that we love God. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying that if you want to follow the commands, if you want to follow the ways that please God, if you want to even know what God wants from you, you have to be willing to look inside of yourself and love God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. Which means that the pursuit of mental health is a Jesus first step. It's a way that we put Jesus first is by saying we want to follow you and that means I got to know a little bit about who I am. I want to come back to that in just a couple of moments. But for, for now, uh, Jesus cares about the health of our minds because he cares about our love for the Father. That would just be the first thing. Here's the second thing. Is that Jesus knew that this world would be full of knots. Jesus knew that this world would be full of knots. I can't think of no better place to take us than uh, that moment right before Jesus uh, was betrayed. John chapter 16, Jesus is explaining to his disciples what's about to take place. And he tells them this one thing. He gives them the playbook of what's about to happen so that they can understand that Jesus was actually comfort, comforting them in a hard moment. He says, I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you'll have this. You'll try and undo it. You'll get some of it. You'll feel like giving up. But take heart. Because I've overcome the world. 
I love that Jesus tells us that we're going to have trouble because part of, part of what he's doing here is actually telling us that the experience of brokenness and relational difficulties are to be expected. It's, it's a little bit comforting to me as much as I hate those experiences. It's a little comforting for me to know that this is, it doesn't surprise God. In the midst of my pain, in the midst of my confusion, in the midst of my being tied up in knots or having a knot handed to me, I don't wonder where God is in the midst of it. He told me, there was going to be these moments. He told me he'd be with me. The problem is, is that a lot of us, myself included, imagine that this isn't what Jesus said. A lot of us actually imagine this is what Jesus said. Told you these things that in me you may have peace. If you accept me into your life, you'll never have trouble because I've overcome the world. Isn't that like an honest, like, yeah, sometimes I think like I deserve to have an easy pass and if I just come to faith, like God, you'll just work it all out and if I can just walk an aisle or say a prayer, boom, it'll all just be, wouldn't that be really cool if I figured out how to do that trick? <laughs> not that good. That's not how it works. Part of this series is for us to recognize the pursuit of loving God with all of our mind is gonna be a lifelong endeavor. There is no quick fix to our mental health. Which tells me as a pastor that patience will be required. I thank God for the patience that he demonstrates towards me. I wonder how we as a church can be a patient, loving church for people who are in the midst of it. Who are all knotted up. You will have trouble, but you are not hopeless. A mindful Christian who's aware of the pain and the anxieties of their life that knows what's nodding them up can actually grow deeper in their faith in God. That's an incredible paradox for us is that actually being mindful of the things in our lives that trip us up are the ways that we grow deeper into our relationship with Jesus. We experience more of God in the ways that we can actually bring to him the troubles that we that we have. So, so Jesus, Jesus wants us to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And he tells us you will have troubles. And the last thing I want to say is just simply this. There's, a, there's an incredible story that Jesus tells when he's alive. John chapter 9 is where, it, where it's found. And it's a man who was born blind. And, and his whole life he's kind of sat and begged. And, and he's had a knot that has been handed to him. A, a disability, really. Uh, he's had a, a rough go at it, and, and to make matters worse, the entire community uses him as an object lesson. He sits at his post, and people walk by, and rabbis would be asked the question, Rabbi, which person sinned in this man's situation? Why does he have a knot? Did he create the knot himself, or did he get it from his parents? If it was his parents, why did he get the knot? It must have been him, but how can he sin before he was born? It's the fairness question. Like the why God question. And these people assume something that I think maybe we assume today as well. It's important for me to just say this, right? We, we assume that the problems of our life are created in self-inflicted wounds. We, we assume that our knots are our doing. We assume that our knots are always the exact result of sin of someone else. And what Jesus says is totally revolutionary. It changes their entire thinking and it turns everything upon its head. He reimagines this man's not as God's opportunity. 
Here's what Jesus says. He says, um, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But watch this. But this has happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. There's a reason that's deeper than anything that you could imagine. This has happened so that God's glory and grace could be shown off in a way that maybe you wouldn't have seen it otherwise. Jesus then goes and he heals the man and he reveals himself. And John chapter 9, it's this beautiful story of faith and sight. And it's where we get that famous line from Amazing Grace, I was blind, but now I see. See, what, what I want to say is that Jesus reimagines the way that we process our lives to say that God's got an ability in the midst of it to show us something greater than we ever thought possible, to display God's glory. You know, we display glory through our acts of brilliance and achievement. Everybody loves Michael Jordan for six titles. Is that a Chicago thing? Am I, is that just me? You guys like Michael Jordan here too? Really? The thing I loved about that documentary that they had, though, The Last Dance, is that it showed you the knots, the hardships, the challenges, that over-competitive drive, that struggle in relationships. And I want to say, church, it's those places. It's those vulnerable places where we're super knotted up that God does his best work in your life. That the story that we'll sing when we're in heaven isn't necessarily, look how awesome I was that I found Jesus. But the story that we'll sing is I was tied up. I couldn't get my way out. I was this. And even still, God worked in me to love him, to know him, to pursue him, to cherish him find him. I think Jesus is really interested in the ways that you and I think and the ways that you and I think about how we think. It strikes me additionally just this importance that Jesus gives to this man who is born blind. The whole entire society around him had judged him, had, had put him in a category of helpless and sinner had said that this man's knots disqualify him from entrance into our community. This man was in his hometown, but he was really far from home. He was an outcast, someone who was left to the side. But he's the one that Jesus decided to do a miracle in. He's the one that Jesus decided to help. He's the one that Jesus gave freedom to and wholeness, and recovery. And Harlan, I, I hope over the next couple of weeks we can have a conversation about what it looks like for us to look at the people in our world today, here, right here in Johnson County, right here in our seats, who might feel like church has been a place of hostility or an unwelcoming, unsafe environment, and realize that Heartland is a church where we can be mindful of the needs of others where we can show mercy and grace and kindness and patience and acceptance, recognizing that all of us are just knotted up. Amen? I, um, 
I'm excited about these next couple of weeks. They're gonna be filled with powerful stories. They're gonna be filled with insights into mental health, spiritual practices that leave a positive impact on how you think. I hope you'll be ready to um, continue our conversation and grow as whole followers of Jesus together and as a church that's committed to loving our neighbors, that we could become a community of mindful Jesus followers. And there's a lot that we want to say, and so here's just one request that I have of you is that um, tomorrow or throughout this week, we're going to be dropping different environments that are designed to help you take positive steps into uh, loving God with all of your mind. And we'd love to help you know about those um, things like Day with Jesus, which is coming up at the end of this week. We'd love to get you all the information that we can get to you, and, and the way we want to do that is just via your email. If you would just go online to heartlandchurch.org, at the top of our webpage right now is this little button that says, Hey. If you don't get emails from us, I'd just love for you just to click that button. Just, just whatever information you want to provide for us, just a, a, at least an email. We want to make sure that we're a place that you can find a, 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 an environment to take a positive step throughout this journey together. But for now, here, here's how I want to end as we uh, kind of work into a moment where we'll respond by reflecting on Jesus' death and burial and resurrection and communion. Here's what I want to ask. Are you mindful of the knots in your life that God wants to work through? Are you even mindful of the things in your life that are tripping you up, that are maybe causing you to have issues, stumbling in your relationships? Are you mindful of these things? For me, um, I'm hoping over the next couple of weeks just to continue learning some of the lessons that I've learned on the backside of 2020. In my own thinking, in my own life, my own relationships, learn that the pace of the regular life can be so violent to my soul. I can actually be so busy that I forget to be mindful of what's going on inside of me. Many of you have raised kids in Johnson County. You know the hustle and bustle of moving to and fro and this to that and making sure that everything's taken care of. So many of you do a great job providing for your families and putting food on the table and caring for your kids and your, your parents are aging and so now you're rushing here and there and taking care of them. And the whole while, this is what life is doing to us while we're in the midst of the rabbit race, but are you mindful that this is what life is doing to you? My hope for me is that I become a little bit more mindful and that I'd be able to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Here's what I think that looks like. You know, a lot of times I, I would look at that verse and say, to love God with all my mind means I've got to have the right thoughts all the time. But I actually have come to see that it's not about having the right thoughts, it's about bringing your thoughts to the right place. It's about acknowledging your knots to God. It's about just saying, God, hey, here's how I feel today. Here's what's on my mind. Here's what's got me anxious. Here's what's got me so tied up in knots. And God, I know that you already know because you're God. <laughs> but I want you to know that I know. Did you follow that, right? God, I want you to know that I know because I choose to trust you in the midst of this life and to come to you. 
I could think of no better way for us to respond as a church than just to have a, a moment of silence individually and to just say to God, God, here's how I'm feeling. Here's how I'm thinking. Here's what I need. God, I need to just become even aware of what's going on inside me. Help me know how to do that. Help me know how to be someone who can take my thoughts to you so that I can love you with all of my mind. And I think Jesus is the ultimate example of what this looks like. You know, we don't expect Jesus in just his supernatural divinity to be someone who got twisted in knots, but you know what? It happened. It happened the night that Jesus was betrayed. You know, that night Jesus had been with his disciples and he had the first communion. What we are about to do here is a representation of what Jesus did that night. He took bread after the supper and he broke it. He said, this bread represents my body, which is going to be broken for you, for, for your sins and for all the dysfunctions of the world to be paid for and to take the power away from. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup represents my blood, which is going to be a new way for you to access God. It's going to be a, a way not built on religion and rules and law, but built on a relationship. We'll talk a lot about relationships and doing life together in community over the next couple of weeks, but how amazing that in the midst of communion, in the midst of the Lord's Supper, Jesus talks about a new way to relate to God in relationship with him. And so whenever we take the bread and we drink the cup, we're reminding ourselves that Jesus has done something for our knots in this life. But then Jesus left that, that upper room and he went out to a garden. And look what happened. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. That's surprising. I wonder if you, maybe you think it's okay to be sorrowful and troubled. Jesus was. And he told his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. It's an interesting phrase. He says, stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further into the garden, he kind of left his disciples behind. He fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. But I want to love you with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind. Not as I will, but as you will. 